0: This podcast is shareable. Shareable is the podcast fueled entirely by curiosity. Every episode features exciting guests who share valuable advice and insights, how to guides, and practical takeaways. Join me as I explore the awe-inspiring stories about overcoming the odds, the secret formulas that gave each guest their unique superpower, and the moments that remind us of our shared humanity. Get ready to be excited, delighted, and possibly even astonished, because this podcast is shareable. Welcome back to Shareable, my fine listeners. Today, I'm very excited. I have a guest who came highly recommended to me from one of my favorite guests in recent memory, Carla Fowler. Uh, So super excited today on the line. I get to talk to Julie Pham, Dr. Julie Pham. And uh, let's start out here. Who are you and what are you most well known for?
1: Well, I, I think I always have to share when I get asked that question. Jeff, a strong part of my identity is that I am a Vietnamese refugee boat person. I was born in Vietnam and I came here with my parents uh, here as in Seattle to in 1979. That's just a really part really strong part of my identity. And now I'm I uh, my parents started a Vietnamese newspaper. And so I think of them as hustlers among hustlers. And now I get to carry that on and I'm a hustler entrepreneur myself. And I started my own company in January, 2021 called Curiosity Based.
0: It's a great name for a company. Uh, I like to think that this entire podcast is curiosity based. Uh, It's, it's a superpower having curiosity.
1: Yes. Um, I was excited when I saw your tagline and that had curiosity in it. So yeah.
0: Um, All right. So the first question I like to really ask people after we get to do the brief introduction is a big question, and it helps to set the stage of like, really, what are you about? What's your thing? And the question is, what is the dent you wish to make in the universe? What's the impact you're looking to leave behind?
1: I want to inspire conversations, uh, conversations where people really want to listen and learn from one another to to for us to practice curiosity, to really think about curiosity as a practice, to kind of shift it from thinking about curiosity as a trait to thinking about it as a practice. If 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 people started talking about curiosity as a practice, I would feel wow, that's that's my impact.
0: Okay, let's talk more about that. One, start here. Where does that come from? Why is that important to you?
1: So I think it's big be- so there are parts where I mean I grew up curious. And then there are also times where I was not very curious. And, and I learned, actually, why am I not having fun? Why, why am I, why I'm not, why am I not being successful here? Why am I not, um, why am I not enjoying myself? And, and so, and then I saw, I looked around and I saw who was having fun, who was enjoying themselves. And it really had to do with curiosity. And I kept, it kept coming up as a theme. And so then I started to look into this even more. And so Jeff, just to give you, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trained as a historian, so constantly asking questions, constantly wanting to learn. And yet, when I came back to Seattle and, uh, in gosh, at the start of the recession, finishing up my PhD, starting to help my family with our Vietnamese language newspaper, and I was doing all this community building, I was not very curious. I was not very curious. I was the one in the room who was like, why are we spending all this time? Why don't we just, we know how to do this. Why don't we just get that done? Why, why, are, we, why are we asking all these questions? And... And I realized that those who, that people were drawn to those who, who seemed to be enjoying themselves. And, and so, and so I really started to embrace the journey. And then later on, I was on that more of the, the organizing end of being the community builder, bringing together people from different backgrounds. And I saw that from, from the organizer perspective as well. I saw that those who really thrived, were those who were able to practice curiosity and those who were really struggling were those who were just so fixated on a particular outcome. And if they didn't get there, then they were really disappointed and they could pull down the morale, just like those who were practicing curiosity could uplift the morale of the group.
0: I feel like part of that has to be related to the fact that when you feel like you already know it, when you feel like you already know the answer or you lack the curiosity to investigate things further, your only real option is to try and control things to fit that narrative. Whereas when you're curious, you're opening the door to other things to happen and you have to kind of release the reins of control to be curious. You have to give in to not knowing. So would you say that there's anything that, um, that you've learned about this tension between knowing things and the value of being an expert and understanding things versus the the process, the act, the art of being curious? Like where do those two pieces, those kind of in some ways diametrically opposed processes, where do they come together and where do they diverge? What have you learned about that?
1: So I'm I, I, I going to go back to my history background. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the reason why I studied history, why I loved history is because I actually think it's at the, as a discipline, it's actually at the intersection of social science and humanities. And so in social science, you're always striving for truth because you believe there's such a thing. You think that there is going to be a certain outcome. And then in humanities, you know, everything is a story. And so history, more than any other discipline, I think sits right at that intersection. And so we keep striving because we think that we're going to find that truth because we believe there's such a thing. And yet we kind of know that it's all made up and that people make all of this up. And so um, in that, I the The curiosity part is realizing, oh gosh, there are just so many different ways of seeing things. And so what I've learned to really embrace is surprising myself, surprising myself, just like, I didn't know that. Oh, why did it? And if I, and I didn't, ex- I actually had an expectation. I had an assumption that I didn't even, that it was so deep inside that I didn't even know. It. And I only know, and it only came up because I was surprised because I can't be surprised if I didn't have an assumption, if I didn't have an expectation. And so to actually um, see that even regardless of how much education I have and how much I've done in my career, that I can still surprise myself. And also, I love now helping other people see that too, to get to that point where it's just like, wow, they they've gotten to these stages in their career, and yet they still delight in, in being wrong.
0: Can you, in order to help people see that a little bit better,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you had mentioned um, mm-hmm. that when you were doing the kind of community organizing, community building, that at that point you had an experience where you recognized that you weren't being very curious And then presumably you had some sort of a shift, some sort of moment where you became curious, you noticed some transformation that happened as a result of that, either in terms of your ability to surprise yourself or something. I'm wondering if you could just take us back to a moment where you kind of had this moment where you recognized that surprising yourself was a thing of value and that how that kind of led you to this path of being really deeply interested in curiosity as a a practice and as a process.
1: Okay, so, uh, er, one of my first board experiences was uh, chairing this board called the Martin Luther King Business Association, and on this eight-person board, I was the youngest person. I was not very young; I was probably in my late thirties or uh, in my early thirties, mid-thirties at the time, and um, and there were there were like four different languages that were spoken on this board. And so it an incredibly diverse board and there was one board member who was not showing up to the board meetings. And okay. Do
0: you mean physically, or do you mean like their presence was that they, they weren't showing up or do you mean they literally just didn't, they weren't. They didn't come there.
1: to the board meetings. This okay. Is, they yeah, didn't come I was, to the I just meetings. want to make sure yeah, I was, I, I, and this right was, was 10 years ago, right? We weren't having zoom meetings. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't know if you were speaking literally or figuratively. And it was yeah. And it was beginning to impact morale. And so, and so in a very kind of outcomes way, it's just like, well, not showing up will get him off the board because he's violating the bylaws. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm talking to other people, I'm talking on the board and they're like, yeah, I mean, you have the right to basically kick him off the board. And, and so that's what I did. I, I, after I didn't hear from him for a while and I was like, Hey, can you write and send in your letter of resignation? And he, when we had talked, he said he would, and then he just didn't. And, um, and so I basically told him, Hey, you're fired. And then he called me up <laughs> and then, and he was really upset. So he finally responded to me after I was like, "Hey, you're you're essentially fired," and he was really upset. And um, and through this conversation, he explained in, uh, how it was just culturally. I mean, we, there was just a real cultural difference. Um, he was he was over twenty years older than me. Who's um, Eritrean Eritrean. He's just like, no, and also an immigrant. And it's just this is not the way you do things. And I was actually so grateful that he slowed down so that we could talk about it and that I could learn a different perspective on how to see that, um, that there is what's right on paper, right, there's what I have the rights to do, and then there's actually Mm -hmm. what is uh, what what is right in terms of the relationship. And that's when I actually learned so much of the perspective gathering is actually is also a part of building relationships. And that is really, that's, I think that, uh, I think of practicing curiosity. The first part is self-awareness and the second part is relationship building. And the third part is is clear communication.
0: I love this. And and as you're speaking about it, something that occurred to me was that, you know, you're you're listening to this person give their side of it. You're learning something new. And I think a place where a lot of people um, maybe veer off into unproductive territory or don't get the full value of being curious is that they then fail to validate the person's experience or their perspective and instead use curiosity as a way to gather information to further maybe debate the point or prove their righteousness. Or um, So I've always found that in being curious, something that's really important is that whatever you get from someone is is kind of like a gift right and and your your goal there really should not be to argue the point of it because that kind of shuts down any future uh gifts that you can get from your curiosity and instead validate you don't have to agree with it but to understand that their point is valid it's from their point of view to them it is real it is whatever it might be because at that point you could have been like oh well you know you didn't show up at meetings this and that and the other thing i'm curious (laughs) i didn't even mean to do that there but Was there uh, any other, what other things have you discovered about the practice of curiosity that helps to make or break it in terms of its success in helping you to gain more from your relationships, build better relationships, have more success in your career, more success in your life your whatever? What else have you learned um, that are kind of critical make or break factors?
1: First, that, that curiosity, practicing curiosity is hard. It's really hard. And it's actually something when I made the shift from thinking about it as a, a, from a trait to a practice, it's because I realized I had been taking curiosity for granted. And I thought, oh, well, you just have it. And actually now I actually liken it to meditation. And, you know, in meditation, it looks easy and yet it's really hard. It's hard to still our minds and we can't do it all the time. We can't be in this constant state of, of stillness. And so with curiosity, I also think that it's, there's going to be times where we can practice it easily. And there are going to be times where it's just, it's really hard. And How do we acknowledge that? And so what you were saying about validation, I think of that as how do we just, how do we listen? So that third element of curiosity, practicing curiosity, that clear communication, that's about asking questions and listening and listening, not to respond, actually just to listen and, and, to, and to, I mean, that is really difficult because I mean, Jeff, how many times is just, I know I want to argue my point and we actually have to slow down. I've had to slow down and go, even in that, in that incident, you know, just, I'm feeling, I mean, I'm feeling defensive I'm just like thinking, Hey, I have a right to kick you off the board. You haven't, it's just, I have to, he's giving me a gift here. He's giving me a gift because he's actually paused and we're actually having this conversation. He could have ghosted me and just been angry and like talked about it, talked about me, uh, behind my back to everyone else. And so, um, so yeah, the 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 nuggets are just that that it is a practice, and that it's really hard. And we should also be give ourselves grace too when there are times where it's like, no, I just really can't practice curiosity right now. Or like I need to go away and think about that on my own because I'm just not going to be able to lean into this conversation right now. And I think sometimes I actually we rush it because it's like I want to be open. And how do we accept like, I can't be open all the time right now. I'm just feeling angry and pissed off or disappointed or sad. And I can't do that. So I think just um, understanding that it's a practice and we don't have, we're not going to be able to practice it all time. And, and how do we move away from kind of perfectionist thinking, thinking that we have to be in that constant state of it.
0: Yeah. And another thing that occurred to me as you were saying that um, is that there's also different ways of listening and being curious, depending upon who you're with. One thing I've noticed, so I have ADHD and um, I'm somewhere on the autism spectrum. And I've noticed that when I speak with other people who are neurodivergent, the, the cadence of communication, the way that we talk to one another is different. We interrupt each other, but in our, in, in like kind of in a neurodivergent conversation, that's often very normal. You just interrupt each other because you have thoughts and it's just a way of relating uh, anecdotally to one another but i've noticed that in my conversations with other folks who may not be on the neurodiverse side on the more neurotypical side that is i noticed that i have to kind of suppress my own instinct to just interrupt and ask and and have that high velocity conversation so even the act of being curious is going to show up different based upon how your how the other person is and I think there's a real delicate balance between like being your kind of authentic self versus kind of reading the other person and kind of leaning into the other person's energy the way that they are so that you can be curious kind of on their terms. That's sort of, it's tough to make, it's tough to be curious about someone else on your own terms. It's mm-hmm. like in, in order to be curious about someone, I found in general, I have to understand how their energy pattern is so that I can adapt so that I can be curious with them and the way that they tend to communicate. So that's something else that I've noticed about curiosity and something that occurred to me as you were saying it is that even in our conversation, I'm sitting here and I'm actively like slowing my mind a bit to like really sit in and hear the points you're talking about. And if I have thoughts come up, I'm like, no, just like stay, stay in this. And it's because I'm trying to match your energy and I'm trying to stay in this uh, at the same kind of pace and, and cadence of communication. So that's something else that I, that just occurred to me here.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And actually, you know, Jeff, as you say that it, it, uh, it makes me think about, so I just wrote this book, Some forms of respect yeah. and one of the forms is attention yes. <laughs> and and attention can look like I'm deeply listening and I'm not interrupting you. And, um, and so Uh, with the seven forms of respect, what I try to, uh, it's actually about practicing curiosity. It's just practicing, hey, how do you like to get, how do you like to receive uh, respect? How do, this is how I like to, um, this is how I like to give, uh, give it. And, and maybe if if you explain, hey, I'm neurodivergent, I tend to interrupt a lot. It's just the way that I think about things. Then I'm like, oh, okay. So it's not that you're just interrupting me, right? It's, it's just, you know, and and so and you can say like, well, I'm just not gonna I'm not prioritizing attention in this particular way in this particular in the in in looking like this, and it's not disrespectful. It's just that I I'm gonna prioritize something else. Right. And so uh yeah.
0: Yeah. And and I would say the key point there. That I pulled out of that is that it's about open communication. And I think if you have the conditions for that, you have to have a safe environment to be able to say such things. But like, to be able to say, hey, I'm neurodivergent. I tend to interrupt. I'm very high energy. Sometimes I do. It's not a sign of disrespect. I'm going to try not to. That open communication allows you both to be on the same page and really be with each other in the way that you're used to communicating. But you brought up your book, and I want to make sure that we touch on this because we've talked a bit about curiosity, and you have this book. So uh, the the book is called, um, I have it right here. I want to make sure I get the full name, Seven Forms of Respect, a Guide to Transforming Your Communication Relationships at Work. And I would be incredibly surprised if a lot of this doesn't rest on the ideas and principles of curiosity. I'm sure that's baked in there somewhere. Can you give a few more practical tips that maybe intersect with this world of curiosity, Mm -hmm. some things from your books that... Listeners uh, can can take something away from this episode. And maybe share it with somebody else uh, if they find it valuable enough. But also that intrigues them to want to pick up your book to to see that maybe that there's a lot that they can learn from it.
1: Yeah, I mean at the essence of uh, at the essence of the book, it's it's practicing curiosity. It's not just talking about what, like what forms of respect do I prioritize and don't prioritize. It's asking why. The why is actually even more important than the what, because the what can actually change. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the premise of the book is that respect is actually, it's dynamic, it's subjective, it's relative. Um, and and yet the way that we talk about it often is as if it's universal and fixed. right? Yeah. I mean, Jeff, because it could be like, oh, I need you to respect me. Well, I am respecting you. And we kind of go back and forth on this word. And I think it's because people agree on what respect feels like. I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard. I want to feel validated. I want to feel admired, acknowledged. And yet we disagree about what it looks like. And so for you to be your authentic self, you uh, and just be free flowing high energy self, you'd be interrupting me all the time. Right. And yet someone else that could be like, I can't believe that guy is so disrespectful. Right. And so in some certain places you, ad- um, you adapt Because you are understanding that the context and so that's what happens we actually, we often adapt to the context so in terms of the the quick takeaways is to think about respect as, as dynamic as something that changes it's not. um, This is one of the, one of the things I have to tell people is seven forms of respect is not like seven habits of highly effective people. It's more like five love languages, with some with with even more, but with some layers of context. Mm and I, another, another takeaway is the rubber band rule. Can I share with you the rubber band rule?
0: I would love to hear about the rubber <laughs> okay. band rule. I love frameworks. I love any sort of like, um, like an axiom or any sort of like ways of thinking about, uh, things in, in a metaphorical, it, it's, it's a bullseye for my ADHD brain. Go. So,
1: so with the rubber band, I mean, so oftentimes when, when I ask people, Hey, what does respect mean to you? People would bring up the golden rule, you know, right. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. So the thing about the golden rule is well what if they don't want to be treated the way you want to be treated right like they don't want to be peppered with questions <laughs> as they're talking right and then um and then there's the platinum rule which is treat people the way they want to be treated now the thing is what if they don't know or what if they have, don't tell you or what if it changes right the the way that they want to be treated with you might be different from the way they want to be treated with um with someone else and then and then and they have to kind of acknowledge that and so with the rubber band rule what it says is we're actually pretty flexible the way that we show respect to other people the way we give respect we can actually flex it's like okay i know jeff likes this and so i want to be respectful to jeff and so i'm going to do this then over time what happens is if we are continually being asked to do things that we're kind of um ambivalent or don't like then we will snap and break like a rubber band and so with the rubber band rule. Uh, it's about actually knowing what our breaking points are, mm-hmm. what's going to make us snap. And so the the part about uh, practicing curiosity, I said that the first element is self-awareness. Yes. And so the thing is, we can only have open communication and talk about what's important to us if we actually know that for ourselves.
0: Yeah. I, and a lot you of times people rubber, don't. As you were showing the rubber band, all I could think was, everybody's going to be a different type of rubber band right yeah. like some people are those really 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 big ones and they can yeah. stretch really really far and some yeah. people are like those really thin ones and they snap really easy some yeah. people are those big thick ones but they're really they don't they don't have a lot of uh, give to expand so i think it's a really good metaphor because i'm i'm thinking about the uh, the constraints that some people have based upon life experiences, maybe the traumas they've been to been through the the uh, the just the various life experiences they've had, uh, way they've been brought up, things that they value, a company that they've kept, their their own brain, and how they process sensory information around them, mm-hmm. how much sleep they get, whether they have kit like their life circumstances, all of these different things can contribute to what somebody's perception of respect might look like on a given day and what their flexibility is going to be on a given day to contort themselves to somebody else's benefit. Someday you probably are just like a really rigid old rubber band. You're like, mm-hmm, look, mm-hmm. I'm yeah, not exactly. gonna bend. So I think it's a really, I really like it as a, as a metaphor. I think
1: yeah, really and, it, and it's just, and also being aware of that, right? Because otherwise sometimes people feel hypocritical. Like, why am I being this way today? You know, like they're trying to, I should be, I should be this. And it's just like, cause we all got our, we just, we're feeling different today, right? We're feeling down. And so that's going to affect our flexibility and to just be aware of that. and, and, And oftentimes we expect other people to mind read. Yeah. But the thing is, if I don't know why i'm upset then i can't even tell someone else right because think about how often it's just like oh this person upset me i can't believe they did that i can't believe they said that and yet what we don't ask is like why am i upset why did that comment piss me off yep right and so kind of going back to the practicing curiosity and that's self-awareness the first question we have to ask ourselves is is uh, the fir- is we as um why do i feel this way So like that being curious about ourselves. And then that second part, the relationship building, it's like, well, Jeff, why do you care about that? What is it you care about? Why do you care about it? And let me share bits of me. And then that's reciprocity, right? Like, so if I'm going to share myself and then you're going to react and then I learn something from your reaction. And now we're like kind of going back and forth and we're learning and we're building a relationship because we're both also willing to take some risk, right? And then, and then, yeah, that last part of the clear communication.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, I think the work that you're doing is so interesting, and I am such a huge fan of curiosity. I have said for years and years and years that the only reason I could actually have this show is because the fuel that it runs on is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love bringing people on. I love hearing their story. I love learning things from them. I love when people come with a a framework like something with a and even a prop like a rubber band. Uh, that's just like right up my alley. I, I it's absolutely what makes this show go. Um, so, uh, I want to shift into asking you about a couple things mm-hmm. uh, that. Uh, that I call the shareables. And these are just kind of quick hits of things that um, you've experienced recently that, uh, that you'd be willing to pass along, similar to how we share things online and we recommend things online. So I'm gonna ask you for four different things. Uh, and then after that, I wanna uh, talk a bit about where people can get in touch with you and, and learn more about you, buy your book, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for the shareables, I wanna start out with, uh, what's something that you've read recently that you think, it doesn't have to be recently, something you've read that you think that everyone should read?
1: I just read The Four Pivots by Dr. Sean Ginwright and I really loved it. I can't remember now the whole, the long um, the long subtitle, but it's it's basically about um how we need to do how we need to do self-healing first before we can uh before we can heal as a as a community. Awesome. And he has all these wonderful anecdotes in it.
0: Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, I will check that out. I'll add it to my book list. This is also the secret here is that uh, that question is to help build my reading list Uh, because I'm an avid reader and I'm always looking for new good books. Um, And I find my guests have great recommendations. All right. uh, Second question is uh, what's something that you've listened to recently or that you've listened to in your lifetime that you think everyone should listen to? It could be a podcast. It could be a song. It could be an album. It could be uh, you name it. Anything uh, that is music to the ears.
1: So, um, so many things with the uh, the Winds of Change uh, podcast, which is based on that Scorpion song, Winds of Change, and they do. I think it's like a five or seven parts kind of uh, series where it's just that investigative storytelling. And it, and I mean for me, the kind of first historical big event that I remember is the fall of the Berlin Wall, and so it kind of takes people back to that, that time of, there was a cold war. There was, our world was divided. There was this wall that divided us. And, um, and so I really, I love that.
0: Awesome. That's, I will add that to my list. Uh, All right. What's something you've watched that you think everyone should watch? This could be a TV show. It could be a movie. It could be a Mm -hmm. Ted talk. It could be a YouTube video. It could be anything has to be something you could watch.
1: Okay. I mean, my, uh, one of my favorite documentaries is called nailed it. And, um, and it's about the rise of the uh, manicure pedicure industry uh, created by Vietnamese refugees in the U.S. And it's full of joy, and it actually shows how this—I think it was like 20 women in a in a uh, camp in in Southern California who learned how to do manicures and pedicures, and how they basically reinvented this industry that uh, that democratized access to to, um, to beauty and, um, also economic empowerment for our entire community that then also spread to to Vietnam. And it's, and I, what I love about it is it's, it's joyful. It's not this story of exploitation. It's like, no, actually these are entrepreneurs.
0: That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. Final shareable question is, uh, what's something that you've learned, something interesting that you've learned that you think is worth sharing? This is a question that could be anything. It could be some random factoid. It could be something that's deep, historical, unknown. It could be something very like normal and useful. It's completely up to you, but it's something that you've learned that you think is interesting enough to share.
1: Uh, I mean, the thing that kind of sticks out for me right now is it's more of a revelation of just thinking about expectations and how expectations and assumptions are really tied. Yes. And how, when we have an assumption, it's actually because we have an expectation. So yeah,
0: that's, that's great. I wrote a blog post forever ago called aspirations versus expectations. Mm-hmm. And one of the pivots I tried to make in my life is not to have very many expectations, but to have a lot of aspirations. So mm-hmm. one being no expectation of what's going to happen, but a, a, a hope for where it could go versus uh, being disappointed when I don't get what, what I had as an expectation. So uh, I'm very into questioning expectations and, and, and tinkering with it. Um, well, thank you for sharing those different things. Uh, I will add them all to the show notes so people have them. Um, now's a the chance. I want to give you just the opportunity to just unabashedly promote yourself. Where can people connect with you? Where can they buy your book? Where can they learn more about your work? Where can they fill in the blank, unabashedly promote yourself at this time in the show? So
1: you can, uh, you can learn about, you can go to curiositybased.com. That's the, the, the parent company. And you can also go to forms of respect.com. That's where I, put the, the website for the book in particular, I, w- we just started doing YouTube videos every week. So I'd love for you to go check that out. It's YouTube uh, at curiosity based. And so we release a video every week. And also I'm a big believer in reading. And, and so every, um, almost every month we produce a list of leadership books written by different communities. And so for example, in February, we will have, we'll release our new it's black history month. So we'll have our black author uh, list. And so you can go to curiositybase.com and you can see all of these lists of, um, of, uh, of like hundreds of books for each community. So check that out. And that also we have amazing. a digital course as well. So where, yeah. where,
0: where where's the list again? Yeah. So you can go to that, curiosity
1: Base. Uh Uh, dot com and you go to resources and then there's we have these leadership book lists and I mean now we're moving into our second year and so I mean I'm really proud of um I'm really proud of these the research that we've done because oftentimes we get you know it's just like oh I'll read the most popular books right I'll read what's on the the top I mean Jeff the book list of Amazon's top 100 book lists for leadership recommendations only 12 aren't written by white men
0: Yeah. And that's surprising. So I just wrote a leadership book. And when I was doing my research to find leadership books, like to like hunt them down Mm -hmm. of non-white male authors is like very difficult. Yeah, Um, You really have to hunt to find them. Um, Yeah. And there's, they have less reviews and like, they're just, Mm -hmm. they're very obscure and hidden way. And I was actively searching uh, for it. Because it yes. just felt like, great, another white male author writing another white male author's leadership book. And like, ugh, it, yeah. So I was really glad when I, I remember actually in our first conversation before we jumped on uh, shareable, you had told me that you had this book list. Uh, and that's why I, I wanted to double back and ask where people could find it. Because I think that's a really important thing for people to know and have access to and and to to go and explore. Um, because people that look and, and uh, grew up like me cannot be the, we cannot have a monopoly on the conversation of leadership. Leadership is not a title. It is not based upon where you went to school. It's not about, you know, what company you run. It's a mindset. And there's a lot of different ways to think about it. And there's a lot of things that we can learn if we're curious enough about other people's perspectives of what it takes to lead people.
1: And part of that also is what we've done is push the definition of leadership book. So it's not just this management book. It's also, we include memoirs written by leaders. And and I also have a LinkedIn series that we just started LinkedIn live series that it's called behind the pages and it's interviews with authors and conversations with them. And so that's something else to check out. If you go to our curiosity based, if you follow us on, on uh, LinkedIn, then you will, then you'll also get notifications of that as well.
0: Awesome. Uh, I'm going to add all of this. Uh, into your show notes. Uh, so if you're listening and you're interested in any of that, don't worry if you're driving or whatever and you didn't get a chance to write that down. It's cool. It's in the show notes. You're going to be able to just tap. It's fine. Um, awesome. Well, Julie, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for coming on. The way I like to end the show is this. The last word shouldn't be me. It should be my guest. And what I like to do is end on a note of gratitude. Um, so I like to give my guest the opportunity And you don't have to take this opportunity. You can use these last words for whatever you want. But what I like to do is offer the opportunity for you to think about um, a leader in your life. And I particularly want you to think of who comes to mind when I say the words lovable leader. So my book was called The Lovable Leader. And the three premises of The Lovable Leader framework are care, trust, and safe travels. So when I say lovable leader, I'm talking about someone who clearly cares. They really genuinely care about you, your, your future you as a person, that you trust them, that you know that they have your best interest in mind and that they create the sort of environment where you feel safe to pursue big opportunities. So when I say lovable leader, hopefully someone flashed into your head. And I like to give this last moment, just I mute myself and I'd like you to be able to speak directly to them and thank them, say whatever comes to your mind that you think is important to say directly to that lovable leader.
1: First person who came to mind is my father, who passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, and I would say to him, Conrad And that's just I thank you, I thank you, father.
0: So tell me. What was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibber.com. That link as well as every other link mentioned will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind. And seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.